My name is Beatrice Rodriguez, and I serve as coordinator of our rotating art gallery. Our scripture reading today is found in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live in a life, excuse me, a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Just warning you, um, an hour extra of sleep, plus a very large coffee, plus my mom and my Ben dad, which is my stepdad here, we're probably going to go over a little bit today. (laughs) This is my, I've been looking forward to this week since I knew we were going to preach this, because I think when it comes to the idea of the church, there's just a lot of um, half answers as to what the church is. Oftentimes, with my friends who are pastors, the conversation around the church is more that the church is just a place to have a job or get a paycheck. And they ask me, oh, you're still at Lake? And I said, yeah, I'm still at Lake. Here's what happened. Um, I fell in love with the people. And they started, hopefully, falling a little bit in like of me. Because the church isn't a job. It's not a job for me. It's not a worship service. It's not a sermon. It's not a song. It's not a piece of property. It's not a facility. The church is the community of faith. The church is the body of Christ. To use the terms that our pastor has used since day one when he got here, was the church is an unexpected family. But these other definitions of what church is, they're kind of half answers, right? I mean, some of us today will say we went, we, we went to church because we sat in this room and we sang some songs and we partook in the Lord's Supper and we heard a sermon and, and we prayed and I went to church and church becomes a, a thing that's about a 90-minute experience. Friends, the church is not just that. The church is us collectively together being this unexpected family. This weekend, we read that in Article 7. And the book of Ephesians is going to help us understand this idea of the unexpected family much more. My prayer for you is what's happened to me this week, is that I'm reminded of some things, that I'm challenged by new things, and that I leave this week and that you leave today with a better understanding of what church is than when you came in. In Ephesians chapter 4, we hear some pretty clear verses. In the book of Ephesians, there's some context that will be helpful before we jump in. There's a lot of different ways to outline the book of Ephesians, but I'm just going to give you two sections. Chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians is theology. The Ephesians church was made up of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and Paul writes a letter to the Ephesians church to help them understand theologically how this is possible. 
He's writing in the first three chapters to help them understand how, how this group of people who is racially different, culturally different, and historically religiously different, how now they are to be one, radically different than what was around them in the culture. And so some theology, some right thinking about God and right thinking about how this all makes sense and how Jesus and through his teaching and since the beginning of time, how this all makes sense into this new humanity, this new group called the church. It's deep stuff. Read it, and you've got to read it a few times. But in chapter 4 through 6, it's what we call practical theology. All of a sudden, the deep theological concepts that are just in, in, in huge amounts for the first three chapters, we start seeing some very practical verses, practical words from Paul about how we are supposed to live out the theology that he has just written about. Here's the problem. You and I live at a time where we read Ephesians 4 through 6, and because it's so practical, and it uses the word you instead of you all, oftentimes we get to Ephesians and we read these verses and we believe that these verses are written for us as individuals, which complexes the problem of the church, because sometimes that's our definition of the church, is that I'm an individual and I participate in this thing that's outside of myself. It's really important when we get into these verses today to understand that this is a book written to a gathered group of people. This is a book written to people like us. It's not written to individuals. It's not written to just a couple of people. It's written to the entire community of faith. So when we read things like, I urge you, he's urging all of us. He's urging the entire church to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Church, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. These are incredibly practical words, but they're profound words. And so this morning... Let's jump right in and see what this church is about. Let's understand more what our calling is, what our character should be, and what unifies us all. Amen? Here we go. Chapter one, uh, Verse 1. Paul, writing, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. This is the first verse in the transition to the practical theology. So what is this calling that you've received? What is Paul referencing? He's urging the church to live a life worthy of the calling that they've received. And the, probably the right answer to that is the calling is found in chapters 1 through 3. And you should probably read those this week. The entire calling, this life that we're to live as this body, he has spent three chapters explaining and dissecting and connecting for people. Let me give you a sample of a little bit of what he's talked about because I think it helps us understand what the calling of the church is. In Ephesians 2, verse 13, Paul again is writing to a context of two groups of people that have historically been separate. They now find themselves gathered together as one church confessing the name of Jesus and this is what he writes to them. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create 
in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. And he preached peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Chapters 1 through 3 is the answer to what is our calling. But specifically this morning, our calling as the church. I'll give you one word. Reconciliation. First, reconciliation to God through Christ. Listen to what he says again. You heard it in verse 2. We who were once far away have now been brought near to God through Christ, through the blood of Jesus. Our article 7, what we read earlier today, says we have been made right with God by His grace through faith alone in Christ alone. The calling of the church, the foundational calling of us as the gathered community, is that we are called to be the people who are reconciled to God through Christ. This is what defines us. It defines us because our former identity was not one who was connected to God. Our former identity one is one who was separate from God. But through Jesus Christ, we have now been made right. We have now, because God took steps towards us in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, we can now be in right relationship with God. We can live differently. What is our calling? Reconciliation. To embrace our identity as a reconciled people that we are reconciled to God through Christ. This is foundational to what the church is about. If there's ever a day you come to Lake Avenue Church and somebody tells you there's, there's something else we're really about except being reconciled to God, you should be very wary and you should leave. Because this is who the church has been, this is who the church is, and this is who the church is going to be. A group of people brought together because Jesus died and rose from the dead and allows us to be reconciled to God through Christ. The interesting thing is most of the time, for those of us who've been Christians, for those of us who've been around church, we agree with that. But our reconciliation, our calling to reconciliation, doesn't just stop with our understanding of being reconciled to God. Because we go on to read, especially what we read in, in chapter 2, that we are to be reconciled also to one another. Remembering, Paul specifically in Ephesians is writing to, to Jew and Gentile. And he's saying that the purpose of God was to create one new humanity. That as this reconciled relationship with God happens this way for us, all of a sudden we now are the kind of people that reconcile to one another. This oneness, this unity, is not just a theme in the book of Ephesians. This oneness and unity is a theme throughout the entire New Testament. This oneness, this unity, is on the very lips of Jesus in John 17 when he prays this. This is Jesus' words. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them, all who believe, will be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and they may be as one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, once this prayer for unity, Jesus' words, then the world will know that you have sent me and loved me, loved them even as you have loved me. Friends, our calling as the church, first and foremost, is to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. But our calling as the church is also to be reconciled to one another. 
And this is tough stuff, right? Because hostility and separation aren't unique to the Ephesians church. Hostility and separation permeate human history. And they define a lot of things. There are things that separate people from one another. Read the paper. Read a history book. Look at the way we even interact with each other throughout a normal day. Things like nations, tribes, ethnicities, cultures. These are things that are separated, but that one day will be reconciled altogether. We talk a lot at Lake Avenue about Revelation 7-9, where in this future state, we will all nations, all tribes, all, all people groups will be gathered together before the throne of Jesus singing His song. And I guess if we, we gave each other a test and said, do you believe that? All of us, most of us would say, yes, I believe in heaven that will happen. But we have really little hope of that ever happening here on earth. So we intellectually believe that one day God will make all things right and the things that separate people from people will all come together. But the thought of that happening on earth, we have way too many examples of how that doesn't work out. We have way too many pieces of history that suggest quite the other. We, when we read the gospel, when we read Ephesians, we see that reconciliation is central. It's not an added aspiration that we hope to get to someday. Reconciliation is not a spiritual gift that some people have and some people don't. Reconciliation is the calling for the church. First, to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and then to be reconciled to one another. But our natural human bend isn't towards reconciliation with one another. We have to admit that. All we need to do, again, is look at the history past and present to highlight the sin and sins of separation and segregation. Wars have been waged and are currently being waged across this world because of distinction and difference and segregation and separation. Even in our own country, we can look historically and see that we had we laws and policies meant to keep us separated based on difference. Everything inside of our human nature bends for us to not be reconciled to one another across difference. The calling of the church to be a reconciled group of people is a radical call because it forces us to go against everything we seek and togetherness typically doesn't happen in this world. Things like separation and preferences and distinctions are not just part of the world out there, friends. They're actually part of our world within the church as well. So I, I, I get overwhelmed, I'll admit to you. So I'm, I'm supposed to be reconciled to God and then I'm supposed to make my life about reconciling with, with others and, and, and being this united, one people group all declaring the name of Jesus. That is, that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to understand. I'm so thankful that he just doesn't stop with this, but when we get to verse 2, he helps give some practical application on how we can go about this calling. When he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What is our character? We know our calling. Our calling is reconciliation. What's our character to be? These are very practical words. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Forbearance. These are the character traits that are to define us, the church. 
the gathered community of God's people. These are the traits that are to describe when you and I are in relationship together. That things like patience and humility and, and, and patience and gentleness and forbearance all come together. I was really tempted in the sermon to, to, to say, let's spend some time talking about these four words. Let's talk about what humility is and what patience is and, and what gentleness is and what forbearance is. So let me just help you. I looked up the Greek. Uh, humility means humility. Uh, gentleness means gentleness. Patience means patience. And forbearance means forbearance. Okay? We have enough Greek today? The issue, right? The issue isn't that we don't know what these words mean. Right? We don't need more definition for what it means to be humble. We need to understand why it's so hard for us to be that way. We don't need more input. We need to understand why we can't output this. These are not easy and simple words. When I think about becoming a humble person, a gentle person, a patient person, it's overwhelming. I want to suggest to you that what prevents us from being this kind of person, there's two things that have come to my mind this week. And by no means am I saying all of us do this. By no means am I saying that this is all the reason why we're not humble and gentle people all the time. But I think they've been speaking to me. One is this, that we live in a very divisive time. We live in a polarized world. We seem to have lost the ability for any kind of civil discourse. It's accepted and common to not just disagree with positions and people, but as we disagree, we move beyond just disagreeing and we demonize people. Attacking and questioning not only the value of what, they, what they're saying, but attacking people for who they are as a person. And it even blends over to the word hate sometimes. And I know it's a strong word. But, but turn on the television. Read some Facebook comments when somebody posts something you don't agree with. Read the editorial sections on websites and you will see that we live in a very divisive time. This polarization that's out there in culture has kind of creeped its way at times into the church. We've lost the ability for civil discourse. Sometimes I think that we live at a time where there's this absence of grace and mercy with one another. Friends, we're called to be humble and gentle and patient, and to forbear, not just personally, but as a community. And when everything around us suggests that it's okay to attack, and to demonize, and to write people off, and to disagree with hate, and to be passionate against not just positions, but people, that is completely opposite of the way we are called to live. So we live in a divisive culture that really gets in the way from us being these kind of people. And I'm right there. Not just divisiveness that's just rampant in our world. Also, triangu- triangulation, I think, is really rampant. Right? This, this idea that when, when somebody offends me or, or somebody hurts me, that I'm going to go talk to other people about it, kind of in a gossipy way. I, just want, I really don't want to solve the problem. I just want people to agree with me. It, it, this, this can happen in the church a lot. Maybe, maybe it's something a pastor does or somebody in your small group or your class. You're offended and hurt. And you never really go talk to the person about it. And then we read just a few verses later in Ephesians 4.29 when Paul, in the practical section, again says this, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We see a call 
for us to speak well of one another, to use our words powerfully, but so often in a culture of gossip, in a culture of triangulation, we don't do that. I remember when I was 17 years old, our, our home church had a harvest festival. And it was the job of the high school students to kind of stay overnight while everything was set up and kind of guard it. And so we stayed up all night long and we had, I mean, it was one of the best nights ever. We just got into every closet, every place in the church that we could, you know, be. And, and the next day we were executing the harvest festival as high school students. So we were at the booths. And I remember overhearing an associate pastor who was a leader of our church make a comment to someone um, about how tired the high school kids looked and it would have really been great for them to give better effort at, at the I was I was ticked. How about a thank you or some breakfast, you know? Um, so later that week, I'm in my youth pastor's office, and I start complaining about, we'll call him Pastor Tom. I said, uh, you know, Pastor Tom is really ungrateful. Here we did all this stuff for him and really frustrated me. My youth pastor kind of said, can you stand up with me real quick? And he walked me down the hallway, opened up Pastor Tom's door, shoved me in, and said, Jeff has something he needs to say to you. You know, we need to do that more. We need to be the kind of person that when people are coming to us for relief or for, for affirmation, we need to be the kind of people who encourage people to not talk to us if we're not in the conversation and shove them towards wholeness and reconciliation. Amen? I want to give you permission as a church. We live our life in this place. You ever hear me speak about someone in a way that's not honoring that doesn't line up with Ephesians 4.29, you can redirect me on the spot. I will receive your criticism. I will receive your rebuke. This is the kind of community we're called to be. Gentleness, humility, patience, forbearance. It goes on and says, we're supposed to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Go out of your way, it means. Make this of the utmost importance. He doesn't say that over the, over the course of your lifetime, become a more patient person. Over the course of your lifetime, really hope you become more humble. Now, the instruction is strong to the church. It's saying this, be this kind of person, marked by words like patience and humility and gentleness and forbearance, and go out of your way, fight for this with one another. Keep your unity. We are to have a unity that is marked by peace. This is a very different goal and activity than what's around us. This is a very different kind of thinking than what dominates the globe. Friends, the church, us, the collective body of Christ, has to be mature beyond the divisiveness of the culture. We have to be mature beyond triangulation and gossip. We have to use our words well, and we have to see people as God made them, as people created in His own image. And we never write people off. Now, I'm not suggesting there's never many times where we're, there's hurt or confusion or the times that even in the, the church experience that we, we misunderstand each other or intentionally hurt one another. But when those times happen, our instructions are clear. Our instructions are patience, gentleness, humility, forbearance. This is how we're supposed to live our relationships with one another. This, to me, feels like a tall order. How do we become this kind of church? I think we are in so many ways. God is good. And His grace covers all of this. 
But where do we find this idea? What is the origin of unity? What is the origin of oneness? Why is this what Paul is calling us to? Which brings me to the last point. The foundation of our unity is the oneness and unity of God. This is what is being written about in 4 through 6. Listen to this and, and try to find the Trinity in here. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The foundation of our unity is the oneness and unity of God. And in these three verses, we have seven unifying statements. We see the unity and oneness of God. We see that unity through the fullness of the triune God. I mean, we can, we can pick these apart, all the one statements, and we'll do some of that, but we see that we have a God who is three in one. We've talked about that already during this series. And we see Spirit and Lord Jesus and Father, and because our God is one of unity and oneness, His call for us is to be the kind of people of unity and oneness. One body. The call is to be one single, visible community. That we would have a recognizable unity that we would be this community of reconciled people, reconciled to God, reconciled to one another. One Spirit. right? The same Spirit that descended on Pentecost, that, that through, through, through everything brought all these languages out and, and, and Spirit flooded on what was different and unified. That same Spirit is here with us, unifying us, drawing us together. The one Spirit that descended at Pentecost is the Spirit that indwells this body as well. The body of Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. The centrality of Jesus. That Jesus is the one Lord of this body to whom our faith we ascribe. One baptism. This is the, the, the external seal that has been since the beginning of the church. Those of us who are part of this one body, who ascribe to the one Lord, who are held together by the one Spirit, the way the public knows is because we have this external seal saying we are His. And then one father declaring this. The significance of this is so beautiful to me. We have one father, which means, guess what? We have a shared paternity. That no matter all the differences that are even present in this room, that when we say we have one father, we have at least one really big thing in common. And that's our dad. All right, I have a brother, an older brother. We are so different. He's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. He has metabolism. I don't. <laughs> right? But the beauty of our relationship, we share the same father. The beauty of our relationship isn't that because we share the same father, we're the same person. No, the beauty and, and the way a healthy family works is when I get to affirm and enjoy who he is for being him, and he gets to affirm and enjoy who I am for being me. And these things, although we're different, we have one thing in common, and it's our father. Friends, this is, this is the image for us, the church, that across our differences, that across the different ways that God has made us, I mean, we know this from the Scriptures. We know that He's made us different. He's given us different gifts. He's given us different experiences. We even have different cultures that we're from. But across all of those things, together, we ascribe the oneness of the community to the oneness and the fullness of God. We have a unified God and we have a one God. And He is calling us, His church, to demonstrate that unity and oneness to the world around us. This is what unity is. This is what oneness is. This is who our God is, and it's who we are supposed to be as the church.
So I've been thinking a lot. What, what would the encouragement be for us as a church? Because I believe these verses that we've read in Ephesians are verses that pertain to us, the gathered community, the people who profess the name of Jesus Christ. But they're not just verses for us that ends there. There's more to the Bible, and there's more than just six verses in Ephesians. But as we think about us as Lake Avenue Church, this local body, internally I think the point has been made that we need to embrace our calling for reconciliation. We have to understand that the mission of God and that the mission of our church is to be reconciled to God through Christ. This is the great reconciliation. And in this great reconciliation of man and God, we find our marching orders for the reconciliation that we are supposed to go after with one another. We need to embrace the calling to be reconciled to one another. And being committed and being connected together across our differences, this kind of reconciliation takes a willingness to step toward those who are different than us and far from us. Where do we find that example? We find an example in God through Jesus. Right? We were distant. We were different. He was God. But through the cross, he stepped towards us, closing the gap of the distance, closing the gap of the distance, and now says, you as my people, your job is to go be that for one another. Stepping towards things that are different and people that are different is very difficult. It's not impossible. And here's the truth. I think the more we do it, the easier it gets. But it requires humility. It requires patience. It requires not always being right or thinking you know about a person before you've met them. Right? I, I, I'm Jeff Matisich. I was raised by a single mom in Ventura, California. That, that, that experience of being me, I carry some of that experience with me for the rest of my life. So I remember when I was a part of a different church and, and I was with a group of, of, of guys my age and all of them had awesome dads and they kept talking about how great their dads were. I didn't have a context how that could be true. But because I'm part of this church and this community and I, I, I let their experience be true, I let their experience speak to me, I bring mine together, all of a sudden there's this reconciliation that happens where the very experience that I've grown up in starts to change and I start thinking differently. Like, that's an easy one, but let's talk about culture for a minute. It requires us stepping towards people that are different than us in this very room learning, asking questions, understanding why they think certain things or how they understand the scriptures or, or how they've met God. And it requires us to go places that we're frankly not comfortable going. But we've got to do it because we're called to it. We share a father. We have common paternity. Article 7 calls this out. Specifically, we believe what the Bible teaches that reconciliation that happens, it breaks down things like tribe and nation and language and those kinds of barriers. That means everything will be reconciled. That means things like ethnicity and language and culture and experience and race and history. These are the things that divide our world, but they're not the things that are to divide the church. These are the things that when we cross and step towards one another, we become the church that God has called us to be. When we have a togetherness and a unity that only comes from the Lord... And that togetherness and unity is marked by gentleness, patience, humility, forbearance. That's one thought. Some of us need to, to make some steps towards one another. 
Some of us, we need to fight against divisiveness, polarization, triangulation, gossip. Maybe that's what you're hearing this morning. Maybe you recognize that the influence of the world around you is so strong that it's creeped into the way you think about even people at your church, your family members. May God speak to us that we could be the kind of Ephesians 4.29 people that anything that comes out of our mouth is beneficial for those who will listen. Now, it's really important that God doesn't call us to be this patient, humble, um, uh, graceful community, forbearing community, just so that when we're all together, it's really comfortable and nice. No, there's something bigger happening. The reality is that God calls us to this oneness and this unity as the church because remember Jesus' prayer in John 17. When they're unified, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Friends, we are to be a visible and tangible representation to the world of who God is. And the way that happens is that the way we love one another, the way we declare our reconciliation to God through Christ, the way we live out as a reconciled people across differences, when we do those things, it demonstrates to the world who God is and more people will join this family. Now, I think the old way of thinking uh, culturally would be this. We ought to be, why we're at 393 North Lake Avenue, we ought to be the kind of people who are patient and humble uh, and gentle because when a visitor comes or a non-Christian comes to Lake Avenue, then they'll experience the way we do that on a Sunday morning. Well, here's the reality of where we are as a culture. Our witness and evangelism in this world is not necessarily dependent on how we behave when we're at church on Sunday. It's how we live 24-7 when we leave here. Because remember, the church isn't a facility. It's a group of people. And that means when you get to your office, or when you eat at your favorite restaurants, or when you have relationship with your neighbors, when you are living your life, the different people on your, your son or daughter's soccer team, this is the way people experience. And if, if our character is one of humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance, that's how people will know who God is. There was a book that came out in uh, 2007 by David Kinnaman of the Barna Group. It's a book called Unchristian. It's not a, I, I don't recommend reading it if, if, if you want to be happy um, because it was basically a research project at the time from 16-year-olds to 30-year-olds that, that weren't followers of Jesus, and it asked them a lot of questions about what they, what they, how they viewed the church and how they viewed Christians. It's a tough book. And I'm not a researcher, so I can't vouch if it's the best research in the world, but I think any time there's information that gives us a window into how we're being perceived or how people think of us as the body of Christ, we should probably look at it. I want to summarize for you just a couple of the findings from that research and in that book. But before I do, let's remind ourselves, what are we supposed to be? Humble, gentle, patient, and to forbear with one another. So these were the four, some of the four things that that said uh, Christians are judgmental, they're not personal, they're too sheltered, and they're too political. Now, I don't know if those are fair or not, um, but I know that, that, that when I read that in 2007 and when I reread it this week, there, there's something that just sank at my gut because when I think about who I know in this church, and I think about my life, I don't, I don't necessarily, those words don't come about. So I just kind of started wondering, maybe in some ways we're, we're doing okay with one another, 
but somehow something's being lost in translation out in the culture, out at our workplace. So I started praying for us, praying for myself. If those are the words that people think of us, what, what is the prayer of how people will um, interact with Lake Avenue Church when they meet you and me? Right, Because they're not always going to walk through these doors and that's where we start relationship. No, we, we start relationship in the office. We start relationship in our school. We start relationship when we're getting our hair cut. We start relationship after here when we go grab lunch together. We start relationship when we're just living our lives because that's the mission of our lives. And as you and I go live that out there, these are the words that God gave me so that we would move, that when people experience you and me, they wouldn't see us as judgmental people, but they would see us as caring people. That we would be so caring of one another, that that caringness muscle would be so strong, that when we go to work, we continue being that caring kind of person. That when people think of us as not personal, that they would experience us to be a compassionate group of people. The kind of people who go out of their way to listen. The kind of people who go out of their way to enter into other people's pain. The kind of people who go out of their way to understand someone else's experience. When I think about sheltered, I pray, my prayer for you and for me is that people would experience us as, as approximate people, as a close people. As a people who step towards them in relationship just as we step towards one another at this place. That we would be the kind of people who step towards people, and they would say, I, I may not agree with what that person believes, but man, that person knows me. That person cares for me. They seem to always have just a few extra minutes for me. And, and I would also pray that they would see us as a compelling, hopeful group of people. That there was something about the way we live, the way we believe, the way we live our life that screams to the hope of Jesus Christ. And as we live a hopeful life, that it would be so compelling to people that they would want that for themselves. Now, I'll just encourage you. That's what I love about being here. I know that this is who we are. I know it. I've been at, I've been at restaurants and, and seen the relationships that so many of you have built with waiters and waitresses. I've walked in to have meetings with you at Starbucks where you know that the barista just got married and you bought them a wedding present. I know you're the kind of people who were probably going to run out of the angel trees today because you're going to jump at it and go, there's a chance for me, for me to care for a kid whose parent is in prison. We are that kind of people. We're the kind of people that give supplies to a school district that's, that doesn't have resource. We are a caring group of people. We are a compassionate group of people. We are a close group of people. We are a compelling group of people. But friends, we are to make every effort to do that with one another. As we do that with one another, we demonstrate to the world who God is. This is the mission of the church. This is who we are. May it be who we become more and more and more. Father, help us. We declare to you that we're not patient people. We're not gentle people. We're not humble people. We don't bear with one another in love that the very instruction we read in Ephesians is a really tall order. I'm so thankful that these are not words to individuals, but they're words to a collective body. God, may they be the words that encourage us as Lake Avenue Church. May we be so about you that we declare and grow and learn and rest and breathe and live in our reconciliation to you through Christ. 
But may it not stop there for us. May us take, help us to take steps towards one another, even in this local church, to learn from one another that the things that have divided, that they would be one, they would be complete. And we do this, God, because you, you are unified in one God. And your unity and oneness is your call for our life. Help us be that kind of church. Thank you for the place we do that so easily. But God, we confess to you there's much, much, much more work to do. Help us have energy to be the kind of body of Christ you've called us to be. We pray, God, that you would grow this assembly, that more people would come to faith in you. And God, we would pray that we live in such a way that they're just attracted to what a reconciled community looks like. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.